Yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, you're good. If you use so, if you use the tubeless one, you're probably fine. Yeah, I mean, it seemed, I didn't know if it ma- mattered that much. Like you're just sticking a piece of foam in your tire at the end of the True. day, right? It's not like it. I don't know. But then I did when I was installing them. I looked up a video on how to do it because I'd never done it before, and they're like talking about putting a tube in there. What is up, my party friends? Welcome back to the Bonk Bros Podcast. This week on the show, Scott kicks us off talking about his recent podium result at the UCI cross-country mountain bike race this past weekend in Banner Elk, North Carolina. Then we get into a bit of discussion around the Crusher and the Tusher, where Keegan Swenson and Haley Smith came away on top, and Dillis tells us about some of the unconventional rules and formatting that was in place. We'll finish things off with a few listener questions, so please keep those coming. Like your third grade teacher told you, no question is too dumb to ask, and if it is, well, we'll just ignore it anyway, so fire away. Uh, send those questions to at Scott McGill Jr. and Instagram. All right, that's all I have for y'all today. Let's get this Bong Pros party started. No, but he's actually serious. <laughs> <laughs> We're live. You want to say something? All right. Well, it's not live, but it is live. There's there's like a hundred thousand people tuning in. So <laughs> can she can she hear us? Yeah, it's live. I don't use headphones. Okay, cool. You don't use the headphones? No, I don't know why you guys use headphones. Does it make I it better? Dude, all podcasters use headphones. Man, it's just kind of like a thing. Yeah, well, it's supposed I'm to make like the a, sound better. Like, I'm like an unconventional guy, so maybe I'm an unconventional podcaster. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> we we do have like uh, over three thousand listens at this point. Nice, sweet. In five well, episodes, maybe I should say this at the beginning of the episode instead of the end of the episode. If you're one of those three thousand people listening and you have a question for us, you can send it to at Scott McGill Jr. on Instagram. And we will answer it at the end of the episode. Yeah, maybe we'll get more now that you said it at the beginning, because people stop listening. Yeah, Although, uh, the amount of—I mean, the amount of people listening to the whole thing is probably real low. But if I put a pod, if I'm listening to a podcast and I turn the th- like, mm-hmm. usually I'm like riding or driving or something. Like I never right. stop listening. You always listen to the whole thing, even if you're bored by whatever they're talking <laughs> about. Especially if I'm riding, because I gotta, like take my phone out of my pocket. Okay, I mean, I'll stop listening to a podcast all the time if I just get bored by what they're talking about. Oh. I, I, I mean, I'll stop listen at, to the whole thing if the whole thing is interesting. Yeah, I usually stop it like a little bit early because it frustrates me when it goes to the like automatically goes to the next podcast, and I didn't choose that podcast. Mm. I don't like the random podcast selector thing see i i queue them up before i go in the order that i want to listen to them i was just yeah, i don't got time for that well you would, you would save time in the end actually <laughs> probably <laughs> uh so 
So Scott, you you said you are home sitting. Are you in like a different location, or is it like in your hometown? No, it's like it's like right down the street from my house. Okay, we're just staying nice. at a different house. That's sweet. Nice. I got dogs and chickens. You got to feed yeah. the chickens. Yeah, that's cool. You ever you try and catch them or anything? No, you just let them out and then like put them back. Make sure you put them back in night so they don't get eaten. Mm. Cool. What kind of dogs? All right. Well, (laughs) (laughs) and then the other dog is actually one of the offspring of my dogs, which is like half. What what, what would she be? English Springer and Brittany mix. Cool. (laughs) Nice. All right. Let's start talking about, uh, let's start talking about bike racing. Scott, you want to start with talking about the, uh, the UCI race that was in, banner elk this weekend sure uh yeah there was a uci race in banner elk north carolina uh, so was this a, was i'm i'll be honest i'm not really following u.s pro mountain bike racing anymore clearly i probably I probably should <laughs> was this a this was a pro xct i guess that's what they call it I, yeah, again, yeah it's I don't a br- brand new one this year yeah it was new yeah it was on the I mean, you've done the Lazy McCray course, Dylan, right? Yeah. It was, no, it's it was, super technical. Yeah. From it what was, I remember. Yeah. And, they, and it was an extra lap, too. It was four laps. Okay. I, I forget how long a lap takes. It Like, the my time was, I was third. My time was like an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so that is long, yeah. It's pretty long. Um, did we used to, did we used to do three laps back in college? Yeah. Yeah, you did. We did three laps. Yeah. So Scott and I went to college at Brevard College in North Carolina, and so we raced Lee's McRae, which is in Banner Elk, North Carolina, quite frequently, and their home course was what they used for this race. So it's like right there on campus. It's actually an extremely technical course. Lots of it's very steep and it's very rocky from what I remember. I mean Scott just did it, so he can probably his memory is more fresh than mine, but Yeah. And it was like my third ride on a mountain bike in like six months. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was riding my bike fine. Like I was like, like I was like riding with Carrie the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he, he never like dropped me on a descent or anything like that. But then by the end of the race, my whole, my arms and like my feet were mm-hmm. so like fucked from riding just like fatigue, like my arms, like I almost like fell off my bike, just like right, like I couldn't hold my handlebars anymore. Yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> An hour forty five minutes, and your arms can't handle <laughs> like mountain biking anymore. <laughs> yeah, mountain biking's hard. Yeah, dude, I it honestly, it's very impressive, man, how you maintain your technical skills having like I. Like in college, like you'd be riding your road bike all the time and then we'd go for a mountain bike ride and you had like the shittiest mountain bike and you would just rail it down every descent. I don't know, like I'm, I don't know if you're a good bike handler or if you just have like no fear. I can't, I can't decide what it is because it didn't really, it didn't really look like you were in control, but (laughs) you're going fast is what I'm saying. No you, were go, you were going fast. Yeah, I did do like the whole mountain bike race without making like a significant mistake, 
which was good. I crashed in the nice. pre-ride. Okay. Like bent so, and my saddle and everything. Yeah. In in Carrie's, he went to Lee's McCray, didn't he? Yeah, he went mm-hmm. to Lee's McCray. Yeah, because yeah. I saw that he had put on like one of their uh, co- collegiate jerseys for the race. Um, yeah. So that's even more impressive. Like he he knew that course probably better than anyone. Uh, sure. I mean, I guess, but we've all done it. Like, like Carson, who won Carson Beckett, who we always make fun of. Yeah, him, Carson is uh, Carson's the one that gave me COVID. Went right. to his we- went to his wedding, and uh, Carson claims that I didn't get COVID from his wedding, but I don't. It had to be his wedding. I mean, I don't really hang out with that many people, so <laughs> it was that alley cat race. <laughs> There's just no way, man. It was definitely Carson's <laughs> wedding. Uh, yeah, so Carson won. So his finish time was an hour and thirty nine minutes. Yeah, he won by like five minutes. No, dude, only only three minutes. Kerry was one forty two, and Scott, you were one forty two and a half. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, Carson yeah, led dude. from from the start. And had like he had a gap from the beginning, which made it so like I don't know why he doesn't like ride with us for a little bit and then drop us. It's gonna do it right off. The he's gun. not a he's not a roadie man. He just he's got that mountain biker mentality. He just rides at his own pace for the Couldn't whole time. <laughs> he, I mean, he he really. I feel like he doesn't really understand road tactics, and it's evident when we do like a gravel race. And he also doesn't understand aerodynamics either. <laughs> like he, this is the guy that I talk about who's always got his like jersey unzipped and it's just flapping in the wind like Superman style. Probably costing him thirty watts, forty watts. Yeah, we spend a lot um, of time talking shit about him when he just won by like three and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I know we should actually. You know what? We should actually have him on the podcast. We should have had him on the podcast for this episode. Yeah, we should have. Oh well. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, I don't know. So Scott, um, are you, are you going to put a bid in for the world cup in West Virginia? Yeah, I think I'm in. You are nice. Yeah. And then I was going to go to, um, so I think I'm going to go to this race in Canada this weekend, which is a C2, like a Canada cup or something. Um, <laughs> they've got a cross country and a short track. And then I was going to go to nationals, but now I just might not go to nationals. Hmm. Not waste my money and like I can actually right. like, train properly at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nationals will be an altitude race, and you're not not acclimated. So yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, dude, Scott. I I feel like I feel like you are the most underrated cyclist in the U.S. <laughs> Why do you say that? You're just like, like you're no good one at, knows who you are. You're good at you all can. the disciplines, yeah. And like you're, I think it's probably because you're like super humble and you just love racing your bike. You don't really care about any of the other extra fluff stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like you're you don't get the recognition that you deserve, right. but you don't care. See, like right now, like yeah. you're just like whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to go to Canada anyways and race my bike, right. I mean, in, so like in 2022, half of being a professional bike racer, if you're at the domestic level, is actually riding a bike fast, and then the other half is like your social media, right? So talk Scott has one of yourself. one of those two criteria, <laughs> and that's actually riding the bike fast. And then if you look at his Instagram, it's like I don't know the cap. The cap. I mean, I I actually love Scott's captions, but like 
they don't really like pull a lot of emotion out of his audience. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like, know where these people find these time to like write these like captions on about a photo. It's like one. <laughs> like, isn't you know, a photo in, in, instead of queuing up your podcast, man? You can just write an Instagram caption. Sure. Uh, nah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah. let's talk about the women's race at the UCI race. Um, Emily Werner won. So Carrie Werner's wife beat him. Mm. Carrie was second. She went, she she went to Lise McRae won. too, right? Yeah, she went there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad we were not racing. As soon as we finished, then the women started, and it started dumping rain. It was, looked horrible. Oh, wow. Like, I was cold. Mm. You don't mm. expect to be cold in July, right? I was freezing my ass yeah, off. Really? I like went and sat in Ricky's truck for. You were freezing while you were racing. No, after I was done, we were all standing there. You know, everyone. Oh like, yeah, other and shit like right. that, and then, and then it started dumping, and the women went off. And it, it rained. Wow. It rained the night before, so like all the roots were pretty slick on the course, but there was no like mud. Hmm. I feel like I I never raced that course when it was dry. Every time I raced no. it in college, it either had rained the day before or it was currently raining while we were racing. Well, like if you if you go through the rock garden, even we were pre riding, it was dry, like mm-hmm. it hadn't rained in however long. The rest of the course is like dusty, and the rocks are like all slippery still. Like you, ne- it's never. There's always some some like wetness on that course, like um, d- humidity or is or what. I don't know. Maybe in that rock garden, there's like a spring or something. I don't know. It's always, hmm. it's always yeah, wet. All kinds of shit in that rock garden. They like deviated us from the rock garden, though. Like the main one. Wait, they had why? Because I think it was too. People are going to get hurt. Yeah, there's too many injuries. <laughs> yeah, I mean this. So this rock garden, like they use they use it for the XC race, but they also used it used to use it for the downhill race in collegiate. And I mean, guys were using full on downhill bikes for the downhill yeah. race, just to give you an idea of what you you know what this rock garden's like. We so rode what, it. What what mountain bike were you on? Do you uh, own a mountain bike? Yeah, I have a mountain bike. Okay. Are Is you it gonna, full suspension? Are you, yeah. <laughs> you going to tell us anything more about it? Or mountain <laughs> bike? Okay. Are you not allowed to tell us about it because it wasn't sponsor approved or something? It's just a mountain bike. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. It's got some. It's got some boingy bits and right. Did you wax your chain? Tires. Did you? Did you like put extra? Like, what would you do with the rebound on your suspension? I didn't touch that. I also <laughs> like a week ago. <laughs> and my gauge only goes to like a hundred and you pump the shock like way more than that. So I just like aired it up a little bit and just left it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I did like use a tire pressure gauge. What kind of pressure were you running? I ran uh 20 and 20.5. Okay. On all right. What size tires? 2.35 ardent mm-hmm. race or something. And okay. you had tire inserts and I had tire inserts. It was kind of high, but like I just didn't want to like break something. Sure, I would have probably run a little bit less with the tire and stuff. Yeah, but. I would have. I I never felt like I like I could have kept going lower, but I just I don't know, dude. So we have a group chat with some of our buddies from college, and 
Scott was like, first of all, if there's any course that you're ever going to run tire inserts at, it's the, it's this course. Like, I mean, there's so many rocks, there's so many things to bottom your tire out on. Like you want tire inserts. And our friend Zach Loudon was like, Scott was like, should I put tire inserts in? And I'm like, is this even a question? Like, obviously yes. And our friend Zach Loudon's like, oh dude, just pump the tires up a little more. You'll be fine. (laughs) No, like pick the insert up. When I was putting it, it is a bitch to get in, but like, whatever. What what'd you use, Kushcore? No, I used Tannis or something. Tannis. Oh my gosh! Is that like is that like a random Amazon brand or something? So lightest and cheapest one I could find. Okay, so t- did did you use the one that's like the insert that sits in the rim? No, I don't think so. Did you use the one that's like on the outside that you have to use with a tube? No. It's the tube. Okay. Right? Okay. Cool. 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 So, why would I use um, it? Look, I'm just you know I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to bash a company too hard here, but like you do that all the time. All right. So when I when I got a bunch of flat, I, I just I need to say this about Tannis because like they're they're honestly doing like false advertising right now. Um. So when I got a bunch of flats last year at unbound i was like i need to find a solution that i will not get flats and then i'll i'll do really well at unbound because i'll be one of the few people that didn't flat and i found these tannis inserts that like go around uh go around the inside of the tire and then you have to use a tube with them but basically you can't uh puncture your tire because there's like a half inch of foam around the inside of your tire. So even if you puncture your tire, it's like you're fine. So you put it to like, then that, you put the insert on and then you put your tire on. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, the insert so goes was, in between the tube and the tire, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. And you, and you have to run a t- you have to run a tube because you can't do it tubeless because then the, the air leaks out cause there's foam anyway. Um, so I was like, dude, that is perfect for unbound because you can cut your tire and keep going. Like it doesn't matter that you cut your tire. Um, so I tried those things out and I've got a little section of gravel that I'll like test different tires and tire setups on to see what the difference in rolling resistance is. Now Tannis claims that these inserts improve the rolling resistance. So like make you roll faster. Okay. <laughs> I I think this was like a two minute segment without the inserts was like, I don't know. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like two minutes and 15 seconds with the inserts in, it was like two minutes and 35 seconds. It was so much slower. And when I extrapolated it out over the course of a 10 hour race, it was like a full hour slower. <laughs> And I was like, you could get like three flats and still be faster without these inserts. Was that maybe, were they claiming that relative to just using a tire with tubes? Dude, there is no possible tire setup that is slower than this. I don't know what (laughs) they were. I don't know what they were doing that relative to if they were doing it like relative to a tractor tire, but like. No, like there's no tube setup that would be slower than this, right? You could put a butyl tube in there. It wouldn't be slower. Um, like, 
Like the, and, and if you, if you know, like now I know more about hysteresis and like tire rolling resistance, like since I've talked to Josh Portner and done more research on it and it totally makes sense. Like foam is, is a very, um, I forget if it's low hysteresis or high hysteresis. I think low hysteresis. We'll call it (laughs) anti-hysteresis. All right. Anyway, but like (laughs) foam, (laughs) like it's just sapping a lot of energy out of your tire, right? So yeah, it's. Uh, it it makes sense that it would be a lot slower at the time. I didn't, I didn't know that, but um, yeah, I've got a pair of those Tannis inserts in my house cause I bought them. I don't know what I'll ever use them for. Maybe if like, I'm like a uh, bike packing or something. No, dude, next, next year when you go to the uh, uh, Oregon gravel grinder, you can use it as a hula hoop. <laughs> sure. That, that, that's what everyone was doing there. Hula hoop. Sure. Or if there's Where's ever the like if there's ever like a gravel race where like half the race is like on nails or something. <laughs> well, I used like the tubeless one, so Okay. You're, you're good, you're good. About something I didn't use. Yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent okay. there, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well No, you're good. If you use so if you use the tubeless one, you're probably fine. Yeah, I mean, it seemed, I didn't know if it ma- mattered that much. Like, you're just sticking a piece of foam in your tire at the end of the sure. day, right? It's not like it – I don't know. But then I did – when I was installing them, I looked up a video on how to do it because I'd never done it before. And they're, like, talking about putting a tube in there. And I'm like, what the hell did I buy? Like, I Yeah, know. so you looked up the video for the wrong one. Yeah, you looked the up the video one. for the one that's, like, yeah, but then that I, I was just talking about. Yeah, I bought the tubeless one. Seems fine. Okay. Although you can like hear it when you ride, like it, like. Dude, you like, needed you time. you needed a video to tell you how to put a piece of foam in your tire. I didn't know if there was like a trick, tips <laughs> and tricks or something. I, I mean, yeah, there, it, it didn't really help because one, he was talking about sticking a tube in there, and two, <laughs> you just shove it in. <laughs> yeah, it's not really that hard, man. Like the foam goes in no, the tire. It and that's hard. it. <laughs> okay, it's hard. I to mean. Do. I, I mean, I use Tubo Light, and I'll be honest; those are really easy to put in. Like, I know that Cush Core is hard. I've never used Tannis, like the tubeless Tannis, but yeah. I don't know if I had something else to complain about. I'd probably complain about that over putting this tire insert in. But like, I don't <laughs> I'll complain about that. <laughs> Scott, do you have anything else Sweet. to add about the race down there? Um. There were pretty Not small really. fields. Was the race like in yeah. general? Were there a lot of people like in in the in the non UCI categories? Uh, there was like a decent amount of people. Not too many. It was like it was like a local. It was basically like a local mountain bike race, except it happened to be UCI. Okay, C two. Do you yeah. think they'll do it again next year? Yeah, the promoter was talking about making it a C one and adding a short track and stuff. Oh, that's so, cool. That'd be sweet. That'd be cool, dude. If I, I mean, if I was like not in colorado right now i would have thought about doing it even though xc stuff is not my jam yeah but it's not my jam either sure (laughs) yeah Yeah, i i would have i would have come down if i even knew about it Mm. well that would have been a lot of traveling for you but yeah i guess should we move on to some gravel stuff yeah i guess we got to talk about gravel at least at least once on this podcast right yeah (laughs) do one of these without talking about gravel i don't know no I don't <laughs> dylan's not doing another gravel race for a while so maybe yeah that's true that's true although somehow gravel just always creeps in 
creeps into the conversation, right? Um, anyway, so this past weekend was the third round of the Lifetime Grand Prix, and it was uh, Crusher and the Tusher, which when I first heard the name Crusher and the Tusher, I thought it was a pretty dumb name. I was like, uh, I don't know. It sounds like childish. Like he's like, they're clearly trying to say like, Oh, it's this rain. This race is like a pain in the ass. Cause it's so hard. Uh, but the mountain that we were riding on is Tusher mountain or Tusher mountain range or something like that. So I guess it makes sense. Right. Crusher and the Tusher. Um, but yeah, I mean, the race is only 69 miles and it's probably the hardest 69 miles of gravel ride. Well, not the hardest 69 miles I've ever done because I've definitely, there's some mountain bike uh, races that are not that long that are really challenging. But it's probably the 69 hardest gravel miles I've ever done. Um, it was just like, an hour climb to start with. And then you do a really rough descent with a ton of, of, uh, washboards and you're just so bumpy and your hands are like destroyed by the time you get to the bottom. And then you do a short little loop at the bottom on the road. And then you've got like an hour and a half climb to get back up. And then it's like a summit finish. Dude, and, so your uh, hands, <clears throat> your hands are ready to fall off after an hour and a half, dude. That's embarrassing. <laughs> you just make fun of me for that. <laughs> No, dude, it was different, man. <laughs> You're on a rigid gravel bike. <laughs> um, yeah, no, not even in... So, like, I mean, we were climbing for an hour, and then this descent is probably, I don't know, five to ten minutes. So my hands were ready to fall off after five to ten minutes, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, and the race starts at like, I don't know, 6,000 feet or something and ends at 10,000 feet. So it's definitely in a, a high altitude race. Um, and yeah, man, it was brutal. I'll be honest, I wasn't really ready for it. Um, like I, I just recently got COVID at Carson's wedding. The same Carson who won the, the UCI mountain bike race in North Carolina. And um, uh, I mean, I didn't ride, you know, this is like me making a bunch of excuses right now. Right. So, <laughs> so I didn't ride my bike for nine days and, and like, uh, have just been getting back into it. Um, I honestly think that that was prob probably worse for me than the fact that it was at altitude and I wasn't acclimated, but I did what, what I could. What did you get? I got I got thirtieth place in the race and twentieth uh, out of the lifetime riders. So I got uh, some points in the lifetime series, but it definitely wasn't wasn't great. And I dropped down to I was at thirteenth in the lifetime series, and now I'm at fifteenth. So yeah, but don't you can't you like drop one at the end of the year? You can drop one, yeah. And, and, and to be catastrophe in the next two, you can drop this one. Sure, yeah. To be honest, I thought I thought about not even doing this one, but I was like, if I get a race-ending mechanical at you know Leadville or whatever, I'm going to be happy that I did this one. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Dylan, you were you were 31st in four hours and 42 minutes. Mm -hmm. And Keegan Swenson won in four hours and two minutes, and he won by 11 and a half minutes. 
Yeah, uh, dude, Keegan is on. A, he's on a different level. Like he, um, I. It's almost like he's sandbagging doing the lifetime Grand Prix, which is crazy because like the lifetime Grand Prix is some of the fastest <laughs> racers I, I in the U.S. Thought. <laughs> it's like he needs to step it up to something bigger. I know, like I know he's been chasing World Cups throughout his career, um, and some you know sometimes he does well, sometimes he doesn't do well. But I, like, I don't know, man. He needs he needs to go after the next bigger and better thing. Um, he is like I. I it's not going to surprise me at all if he wins every single round of the Lifetime Series. He's just so strong. When yeah, he, when uh, he won Leadville last year too. When yep. is Leadville? in a month yeah is that is it the same time as snowshoe or is it uh well when's snowshoe the 30 31st i think of july of july yeah so it's a couple couple weeks after that yeah it's a little bit after that but yeah um yeah i don't know keegan's keegan's in a different league right now man um of course this is like perfect race for him high altitude lots of climbing but uh you know i mean even a completely different race like unbound um granted he got second there but he was the first out of the lifetime riders and you know yeah and he got second in a in a four-up sprint i mean it's not like he i mean he was right there to win it for sure yeah yeah right um yeah man he's in a league of his own um, I think there was a little yeah, and bit I feel of a like sh- he's he's really found his own like in these longer races too. So I don't know if maybe that's part of it. Like he was chasing the World Cups for so long, and maybe ninety minutes isn't where he shines. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah. I could see him getting like offers to go do like some classics racing or something like that. I, I think he's a little bit. In that. I think he's a little bit small to be a classics racer, especially if we're talking about I don't know Flanders or Roubaix. I mean, the dude weighs like one hundred and forty-five pounds. Um, yeah, but Pidcock weighs 125 pounds. Yeah, but dude, Pid, Pidcock is <laughs> Pidcock is like He's an, one of the an, best in the world. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, like only only a dude like that could get away with being that light and actually do well in a classic. You know, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't see like I don't see any reason why Keegan couldn't do world tour road i mean he's beating guys that did world tour road by a lot so yeah um yeah i think there was a little bit of a shakeup in the women's race i think that sophia is still leading but um Haley smith won and um i don't think sophia had the best race so like the points are actually super close in the women's race as opposed to in the in the you know in the men's uh race keegan's just kind of running away with it i mean it's not you know he's not guaranteed to win but like he's got a big lead at this point um yeah he he's he has a 15 point lead which doesn't seem like that much until you like remember that you get a point for every additional placing so Mm -hmm. Uh, like he's averaging 15 places ahead of Russell Finsterwald, who's, or I guess he's averaging right. five places ahead of him, but it's the equivalent of 15 places in one race. Uh, yeah. And I don't see Keegan yeah, Swenson sure. getting 16th place in any race anytime soon. No, I mean, he's for sure the favorite to win Leadville. So, yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, I, I so I don't know. Howard Howard kind of surprised me. Um, he he was the only one who stayed with Keegan up the first climb. Yeah. Uh, then I think so he Howard, you know, Howard, if but, he sure. I mean, I don't think I don't know how much Howard's been training. How if Howard Grotz like really steps it up in the next month and really gets in some some miles, like maybe he's really gunning for Leadville again. Uh, I mean, he yeah, he could definitely give Keegan a run for his money. I just don't think that he's got the endurance right now because he's probably not been training as much as he used to. Um, but like the old Howard, totally would have given Keegan a run for his money on that course. Like it's it that course has Howard written all over it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and ho- yeah, how he won Leadville three years in a row, um, and then last year he was he's he was the one who stayed with keegan the longest up columbine so even even mm-hmm. last year he you know he was i think he's just so good at uh, on the level course um that even when he's not on on his best he can he can still hang but yeah i don't know i mean keegan's right. also I mean, got another month to train so well i don't see keegan getting fitter is the thing i see howard getting fitter i don't see keegan getting fitter keegan's probably as fitted as fit as he's going to be all season i could be wrong about that obviously but he put in a ton of work for unbound and he's been training at a super high level all year versus like howard i think he was in grad school or something and like you know now now he's got more free time uh if anyone's going to get fitter it's going to be howard for sure um, um, so let's see, are there any other, like, any other notable mentions we want to talk about from, from Crusher? Mm, what were, like, what uh, were some of the, did you, like, I don't know, did, did you talk to any of the other Lifetime folks who, um, cause like there were some guys from the, the Lifetime series who did not do super well. I'm guessing just mm-hmm. high altitude, lots of climbing. Like, did you talk to any yeah. of those guys? I mean, Altitude always throws a wrench in things, right? So, yeah. you know, if you look at if you look at a race at sea level, you can't you can't look at those results and say that those results are going to be the same at altitude because they're not. They're going to be different. Some people respond to altitude really well and some people don't respond to altitude really well. So, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that the results were kind of all over the place um in terms of, you know, some people did unexpectedly bad and some people maybe did better than you would expect that they would right yeah like oh, um, logan owen 56 overall i don't know if something happened the the race coverage by the way was terrible um <laughs> there, there was no oh, flow actually. bikes there, there was there was no flow bikes coverage mm-hmm. there was no like live uh like live streaming uh there were like a couple mm-hmm. instagram stories there was like one instagram story at the bottom of that first descent you were talking about that's when keegan and howie came through then there was like another instagram story at the top of the next climb when you saw keegan come through and then like a couple other people came through that one and then they just posted a a photo of keegan's finish like that was it sure you saw like literally less than a minute total of the whole race yeah I mean, it's kind of hard to cover that course, to be honest with you. Um, like, it's then it shouldn't so, be part of the lifetime series. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an argument. I also, I'll be honest. I thought, I'll, I thought that I, I, I do think that it was a 
like it was a fun race. It was a really challenging race and, um, and all of that. But some of the rules that the race promoter has here, here's one of them, no public urination on the course. And I was like, what does this guy just expect racers not to pee for five hours? Well, well, does that just mean like don't pee in front of people watching or is it like cannot do you exit your body? I don't like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the specifics are, but one of the rules was like public urination is a no, no or something. I was like, I mean, there's no, like the whole, the whole course is like in the middle of nowhere. Like no one's going to see you pee. Um, like if you just stop on the side and pee real quick and, and like all, every single one of these rules, he was also, or, you know, the race promoter was also like, you know, uh, uh, you know, you'll be, you'll be disqualified and you won't be invited back or something. And I was like, dude, this is, Hmm. and also, uh, you know, um, I mean, like I was, <laughs> I, re- I remember seeing that rule and I was like, dude, what is Pete Stedna going to do? Pete literally pees like 10 times, uh, in the first two hours of every gravel race. Like he's just, he's just constantly like, I don't, I don't know. He's got a small bladder or something, or maybe he's trying to intimidate us. Like this pace is so easy that I can just pee right now. But do you just you piss know. yourself then if you're not allowed to pee? I, dude, I don't know. I mean, luckily, I didn't have to pee during the race, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's like it's like it, he's he's promoting uh, dehydration before the race. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Um, and then the like the the way that they had a start. I mean, I don't you know I don't need to get too much into it, but just like. Um, like they had, they had the women start before the men and I'm, I'm, I like, I want to preface this by saying that I'm a hundred percent on board with getting women cycling up to the level of men cycling. I'm a hundred percent on board with, um, equal pay for men and women cyclists. Um, but just logistically, having women start before the men. And then if you go back and look at the, the way the men started, I mean, they had like the tandem category start before the, the like men's 30 to 39 or the men's 20 to 29 or something. Um, and they had like the men's 60 plus starting before the 30, you know, 30 to 39. And I was like, dude, this, this starting list is all screwed up. (laughs) Like it's, it's like, it's completely backwards and out of order. Like where, where logistically people are start, should be starting based off of how fast they're predicted to go. So should tandems be the fastest? It's two of them on a bike. Well, but it's a lot of climbing on a flat course. You would think so, right? Because it's like double the power Mm -hmm. on a flat course, but like, it's also double the weight if there's climbing. So, so Dylan, one question. So, you go up the first climb and then do you turn around and go back down that same climb or is it a different climb? Cause there's, uh, okay, I, it looks like so, there was one part of the course that you, you double back on itself. Sure. Right? Yeah. So you start in Beaver and you climb and then you go over the mountain and you descend and then you do a little loop at the bottom and then you go back up that descent that you just did. And then when you get to the top of that descent, you, you hook a right and you go even higher up. 
So it's kind of like a lollipop loop, except you're not going all the way back to the start. You're just stopping the race at the top of the mountain. Okay. Yeah, because I was, I was trying to think through, like, was there any, like, reasonable um, reason that they did the start order that way? And that was the only thing I could come up with was, like, if maybe maybe you're trying to get the all the categories up to the top of the climb at the same similar time, so that way you're not mm-hmm. having as many people descending into oncoming traffic. But I yeah, don't know. I, I mean, the, the first climb though yeah. seems long enough that that you know it was only I a mean, minute or two separation. So sure. Yeah, I mean there were there was plenty of there was plenty of two way traffic up that second climb, like you know okay. people coming down as people are going up. So yeah, I don't really know, and and I so I'll be honest, like it didn't really affect the race at all. Like when the men came by the women, the women just kind of no, none of the women latched on. Like they just kind of continued doing their own thing. And it was up a, a pretty um, steep climb too. Right? Yeah, so it was up. A, it was up a steep climb. So. Um, and like none of the women got in the men's way, so it wasn't a big deal. Didn't affect the race, you know, definitely not yeah. a big deal. It's just like, it's just like legit. Like it, to me, it's not a, like the, having the start order with the men starting first and then the women starting second, that's not a sexist thing. That's a like logistic thing. It's, it's logistics that we don't want people, you know, like getting in the way of each other here. Um, right. And you should just, you should just like, look at, you should just look at the average finishing time of whatever category it is. And, you know, whether it's 60 year old men or, you know, pro women or single speed or, or tandem or, you know, masters or whatever, you should just look at what the average speed of that category is and then place those categories accordingly. If you're not going to have one giant mass start. Yeah, so so I yeah, I mean it, it seemed like uh <clears throat> like it was a little bit of virtue signaling like we want the women to be showcased as like the uh the headlining event, we want them to go out first, give them uh this the spotlight to start the race, which that's cool. I was like, all right, you know, for the first 10 15 minutes of the live stream, like the women will be in the spotlight and they'll be able to, you know, talk about the women and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, give them a lot more, uh, you know, press on, on the live stream. Then there wasn't even a live stream though. So like, <laughs> to me, it was like that, that made no sense then. Cause they, there wasn't any media for them to, you know, take advantage of with, with that reverse start order. So it, it yeah, it just didn't make sense. Um, yeah. And, it, and, and it's, and it sucks for the women. Cause, cause then 20 minutes into their race, they have to be worried about, an entire men's group coming through them. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm like, let's be honest, like women, women's racing has, has, and still takes like a backseat to men's racing. And like I said, I, uh, I want to see cycling get to a point where the women's race is, you know, just as followed as the men's race, there's just as much prize money, there's just as much prestige, and there's not this difference between the sexes. Um, and, you know, it's it's in these gravel races that are mass start, I mean, it just, it is harder for media to follow the women's race because the men's race, that whoever's leading the men's race is leading the whole race, right? Versus right. whoever's leading the women's race is you know 
somewhere somewhere back. They're not leading the entire race. So it, it just makes it logistically a little bit harder. Um, so, you know, if, like you said, if that, if that's their way around that, that they can, you know, um, showcase the women, I mean, I'm on board with that, but like, then you make a great point. There wasn't even necessarily a live stream. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And they'd have to figure out a way where like all, you know, whatever the lead vehicle for the, the women's race would have enough gap between them and the back of the men's race. Cause eventually like there's going to be some stragglers from the men's field who are going to fall back. Um, but it'd have to be like a 30 minute separation, like even Mm -hmm. five minutes probably isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And, and then you could have like you could be showcasing two different races going on and i think that'd be really cool you could do like split screen and like here's what's going on in the women's race here's what's going on in the men's race and like yeah. really showcase it as two separate races going on but the way that it's been you know taken place so far is is it does make it really hard for the women's race you know to follow the women's race and that uh that is a huge bummer for the women yeah we should you know what we need to do is we definitely need to get a uh, a pro woman on the podcast you know one of the one of the women that are in the lifetime grand prix and um maybe get multiple women that are in the lifetime grand prix and see what their take on this is um i know sophia was talking about having uh separated starts for the pro men and pro women at unbound um i mean i personally i think that makes a lot of sense um, I can imagine, so at this race, it was like such a climbing race that I don't think it mattered, but I can imagine that if they had done something at unbound where they had the women start five minutes before the men at unbound, like there would be some women that catch on to the men's field as they pass. And there'd be some women that get screwed and don't catch on. And then it's like, they're completely screwed. Like some women are drafting off of the men and some women have literally no men to draft off of. Like they're completely on their own. Um, right. So, you know, at a, at a race like unbound, I could actually see doing this, screwing this up even more for the women. It, like it'd it be worse a race than of, the mass start for sure. 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 So, you know, I don't know. We should, we should totally get like one of the women that are in the lifetime series on to, uh, see what their take on this is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That'd be awesome. Uh, any other updates from lifetime grand prix stuff? Uh, I think that's about it. Okay. Probably move on from gravel now. <laughs> are we going to talk about the demise of gravel? Oh yeah. Should we? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So it, it was announced either over this weekend or maybe, maybe Thursday or Friday, uh, sometime like end of last week, uh, that the UCI Jingle GX gravel race, uh, which was a replacement for the UCI Jingle Cross cyclocross weekend race, um, that Jingle GX race was canceled, and sounds like it was due to lack, you know low participation in the first gravel race, and then an anticipated low uh, participation rate in the second race, and just with economy and things going on right now, they just couldn't support. Uh, a low participation race right now so at least yeah there at least uh in the you know for the u.s the uci gravel racing is over now because there were only two and mm-hmm. the second one's canceled that that doesn't bode well for the the world championships i'm guessing um probably not going to get hardly any u.s riders over there now um yeah the the first race had a really low finish rate i guess too because it was super hot and course was challenging so like yeah those average like a, 
those average speeds were really slow. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, yeah. And I, so, and I, so yeah, I so it's a bummer. That, I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it was, it was a huge cyclocross race that got replaced with this gravel race. And I think there was a lot of, you know, initial hype around the kind of transfer of, uh, focus from cyclocross to gravel. And now they're not even being, you know, able to put on the race. So that's just a huge bummer for them. The race director, John Meehan, um, yeah, just, you know, mm-hmm. no jingle this year. That's it's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I'm not terribly surprised that the, the U S like U S gravel racers have not embraced UCI gravel racing. I mean, when, when UCI gravel racing was announced, it seemed like everybody was against it, uh, at least in the U S like people were, people were like, get the UCI out of gravel racing. So um, I, yeah, it was a huge motivation I for a lot of people to participate in, in a lot of these unsanctioned, you know, quote unquote, unsanctioned mm-hmm. gravel races and even, you know, bigger gra- unsanctioned gravel or mountain bike races uh, mm-hmm. was, yeah, there was no governing body. There was no USAC. There was no UCI. Uh, they were just kind of standalone events. Yeah. I don't, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the, the UCI gravel thing. I think that these UCI gravel races are a little bit more popular in, in, um, you know, in other countries. And for whatever reason, they're just not taking off in the U S probably because the U S already has such a thriving gravel scene. It's like the UCI wasn't really needed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Dylan, do you know, uh, is gravel racing in, in other countries as popular as it is in the U S like, or, or is the UCI coming out with a gravel series? Is that kind of a novel concept for some of these countries? Yeah. I mean, I think that, so, I mean, I haven't, so I, I, I don't know cause I don't live in these other countries, but I think that gravel racing, uh, is the most popular in the U S I think there are the most gravel races to choose from. I think the most people participate in gravel racing. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just, it's, it's not really surprising that we didn't need the UCI. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Europeans take UCI racing a little bit more seriously than, than U S riders do, uh, just in general. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the most popular in the U S right now. That's not to say gravel racing isn't popular in other parts of the world. I just think there's more gravel races in the U S than anywhere else. I could be wrong about that. No, I mean, makes sense i i don't i also don't know yeah. what kind of terrain other countries have like the u.s has a lot of gravel roads i don't i don't know some some countries yeah, sure. in europe might not sure. have as many gravel terrain you know accessibility areas mm-hmm. or accessible areas um yeah i don't know i don't have much else to add i i knew a handful of people i was probably going to go down to the jingle gx race because it was only five hours from my house um but i don't i don't know there's there's not too much else to add there other than UCI gravel in the US is kind of dead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only been two races, but yeah, I don't know. Um it'll well, just be interesting to race. see what happens with that. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. What do we have up next? I, I think if I think if the UCI wanted it to be bigger in the US, they would need to bring the world championships to the US. That's my take. Yeah, I mean they were they were talking about having the uh the world championship race in the US and then for whatever reason they didn't. Um so yeah. 
Cool. Do we want to talk about the tour at all, or should we just move straight to listener questions? We're already at 50 minutes here, so. Yeah, let's just do the listener questions. I, cool. Yeah. All right, I got to dig it out here. Yeah, we could we could talk about the tour, but honestly, there's a lot of other podcasts that do it a, a lot better than us. So, all right, this is kind of a long question. I'll just read the whole thing, and then he, all right, this guy Ben asks, "How much do you think equipment choice does slash should vary between amateurs and pros? Like in gravel, do arrow bars make even less sense for amateurs?" based on performance loss when not using them on the road. I've also heard the argument that endurance bikes are actually faster and more optimized for less aggressive non-pro riding as the bike will fit better and generally be running more within its design window. Is there an equivalent in mountain bikes Mm. like running different tires? All right. Uh, Yeah. I don't know, Scott, what do you think? (laughs) <laughs> Scott's, just, Scott's just shaking his head <laughs> I've never thought about it Right This is not the kind of stuff that Scott thinks about Which is why I asked him <laughs> um, I mean so If we're talking about aerodynamics The faster you're going The more aerodynamics matters Right So if you are a pro you're going faster than an amateur so the more aerodynamics matters for you so would aero aero bars or an aero frame or an aero helmet or aero socks or anything aero would that matter more for a pro than an amateur yes it would um as far as like i don't know mountain bikes and other equipment i i don't really i don't really i can't think of a reason off the top of my head why certain mountain bike equipment would matter more for a pro than an amateur other than the fact that pro races tend to be won by small margins right so if you're trying to win a pro race perhaps you should care about these margins more than an amateur um but we're on a mountain bike like a pro rider a more skilled rider could handle maybe like a less a faster tire with less tread and they can go the same speed on a trail, whereas mm. an amateur rider needs that extra grip in order to like make it down the trail. Sure. Right. Yeah, and you Something can even like say that. the same thing as far as like suspension setup. Um, you know, the yeah, the pro is probably going to be able to get away with a little bit less suspension or uh, different tuning than than you know mm-hmm. the the amateur. You know, then then would be you know ideal for the amateur racer. Um, you know, or things like dropper posts. You know it's still pretty split like in UCI world cup mountain bike racing, whether guys have dropper posts or not. Um, it's definitely become a lot more popular, but I would say it's probably close to 50, 50 guys with droppers versus non, you know, versus, you know, high post. But I would bet that in five years, uh, it's almost 90, it's like 95% people have droppers. Um, yeah, I could see that. Cause if you look, if you look back 10 years ago, there were a lot of people running 26 inch wheeled hardtails, right? Um, and now, you know, with few exceptions, almost no one uses a hardtail and people are certainly not using 26 inch wheels anymore. So, right. I, you know, I think some of these trends are slow to catch on partially because bike racers tend to be weight weenies and anything that's going to add weight to their bike, uh, you know, 
that includes aerodynamics, that includes dropper posts, that includes bigger wheels. All of this stuff may make you faster, but it's it's making your bike heavier, right? So, you know, people are like, I don't I don't know about that. I'd rather have my bike be a pound lighter, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say just a general rule of thumb, uh, and, and I don't know, sponsors and companies probably don't want this to be the kind of the, uh, the case, but, uh, your everyday amateur probably should not replicate the bike setup that their pro idols are are riding. Uh, that goes for the road that goes for the mountain bike that goes for gravel, you know, it, it, their bikes, the pros bikes are probably going to be more aggressive. Uh, they're also going to be out on the course for shorter duration. So, you know, if you're doing a hundred mile gravel race, the pro is going to be out there for four and a half to five hours. The average amateur might be out there for six and a half to seven hours. So that's a lot more time to be spending in an aggressive position. Um, as far as like the aero bar thing, I think for amateurs, it actually makes more sense, not from an aerodynamics perspective but from a just comfort in ergonomics Mm -hmm. perspective like they're out there for you know at unbound for 15 hours like sometimes you just need to lay down on your bike and pedal in a comfortable position um but as far as like for aerodynamics i don't think like you're talking about dylan it's not gonna be as effective as it is for for you know for the pros um you're probably also not going to spend as much time in the aero bars relative to you know the time that the pros spending in the aero bars but at the same time, like he was talking about, I, I think you, I don't know when you talked about this, maybe it was on like your, your YouTube channel or something, but, or maybe when we, maybe during our aero bars, uh, episode, you were talking about how, when you're not in the aero position, the, the aero bars on your bike are actually contributing to more air drag. Uh, yep. but at slower speeds, it's also less, it's less of an effect. So, you know, it's, um, you know, so I don't know. I wouldn't be worried too much about that. I would, I would, I would set up your bike so that you feel, you know, the most comfortable and kind of strong throughout the race versus trying to set it up for aerodynamic advantage. Yeah. And also I I would say this, this is definitely the case with these gravel races, but it could be the case with other races too. Um, there's, there's a difference in equipment setup when you are going for the win or versus just trying to finish. Right. Um, like lighter tires, you know, less carrying less water, trying to be more aerodynamic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, versus like just trying to finish, like, you know, saving 200 grams on your tires is probably not worth potentially getting a flat. For Uh, sure. So, yeah, I think that's super relevant in mountain bike too. You know, a lot of times, like the cross country racers, even now you're seeing a lot of them run like 2.35, 2.4 tires. Um, but then you'll go to like the amateur field and you'll see a lot of guys still and girls too, still running like 2.25, like smaller tires thinking that those are faster. Um, but nine out of 10 times, if you just run low, a bigger tire, lower tire pressure, getting better traction, uh, less chance of flatting, like that's going to be, you know, better setup. All right, Scott, what's next? That's like the only question we got. You said there oh. were two questions. Oh. Did I say that? Uh, I thought that's what you said yesterday. No. I mean, this guy has like <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we should have talked about this last time, but um, I don't know. You were confused about this. It's like why people are competing in both amateur and pro nationals on the road. Oh, yeah. 
makes it really confusing. Yeah, it is a little bit confusing. So do you have an answer? Uh, I, I or don't what? know. <laughs> Scott, you're the one who needs to answer this. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I, yeah, USA <laughs> cycling is charging 160 bucks an entry fee. I think that's why they have both. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the only good reason I could see. Yeah. Like, why don't they just have one race where, and if you're an amateur, the first amateur is crowned the national champion, right? Amateur national champion. Right. So what, like, you know, this is, this is the thing with, uh, domestic level bike racing is like, where is the line between amateur and pro? It's not, it's well, not there a, is a line. What's the line? If you're a, if you're a continent, a part of a continental team, you're technically a pro. Okay. Sure. The line. Like, so I guess, I guess, the, I guess the line exists. Yeah. Yeah. The line exists in road racing for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, even, even with that, they're like, typically like when you think of amateur versus pro you think of like the pro like this is their profession this is their job versus the amateur this is just like maybe it's like their hobby or uh you know something like that like they have another full-time occupation um but i don't know like are, how many how many actual full-time pros are there on the road where like that's their only job in the u.s yeah because like because like even even if you go to some of the like you know the bigger crit races and stuff it's not like it's only the pros who are competing for that money like the amateurs if they win the race they get the same payout that the pro would have right yeah um they're just not getting paid to be there maybe yeah maybe (laughs) but then like there's probably guys on amateur teams who are getting paid that's right well so i guess that's what i'm saying about the line is fuzzy and then if you go to any other discipline either mountain biking or cyclocross or gravel then the line gets super fuzzy right um yeah like how so do you think that there are more people making a living off of racing road bikes in the u.s right now or are there more people making a living off of racing gravel in the u.s right now oh i have no idea because i don't know you know, I'm, I don't have these people's like bank statements or something, right? <laughs> like, do you see these articles with like, you know, like I think there was one about Alexi, like, oh, mm-hmm. he's making a, six figures. Mm-hmm. But like, is that like, is he paying his expenses off that, right? Or is or is that yeah. his like take home pay? Like, are these sponsors just giving these gravel pros? money and then they do all their own logistics or is there an actual that, like, that is that's usually i mean it depends on i guess like it de- or i guess it, it depends on the sponsor right it just depends on how much the sponsor is providing but a lot of these gravel racers are you know quote privateers right so they're kind of doing everything themselves like they're their own mechanic they're booking their own hotels they're booking their own flights etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. Right. So like Scott, like kind of what you're getting at is, you know, like if you're on a elite amateur or, or pro Conti team, you're not paying for your flights. You're not paying for your food. You're not paying for your equipment. Um, so like, even though you're not making six figures, you're also having zero net expenses. So, you know, it's kind of offsets a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Versus so like, to, I mean, to, to, to go to one of these gravel races in, do it at the highest level, you know, it could cost anywhere from 
fifteen hundred to two grand just for expenses. Yeah, if you're paying staff and you're yeah, you got staff, you got housing. You're there for a week, you know, uh, bringing all your equipment there. Whether you're flying or driving, it's still going to be expensive. So yeah, it's hard to say. All right, still doesn't make sense why you would need to have pro and amateur elite nationals though. Well, I think uh, I think Scott pretty well explained it. It's just like money for USA Cycling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, also like amateur nationals is like junior nationals, so all the junior races happen mm-hmm. then, which like yeah. makes sense. You know? But yeah, like, it's just like it's have- just it's just weird to me that like best buddies goes and wins amateur nationals, but they're like clearly one of the best teams, if not the best team in the U.S. Yeah, like you know. I don't know how much they get paid. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to take a guess on that, but like they just have no reason to get the professional license. You could do in the U S you can do one race with the professional license, which is the race that's coming up in Maryland on Labor Day weekend. It's a pro series race. Um, That's the only race you could do in the U S like that you couldn't do as an amateur team. So in, in mountain bike racing, in at like mountain bike nationals, uh, which is coming up here, you're not going to see anybody do both the like cat one age group race and the pro race. I don't know if they can't, like, you're you, not can. you can't I don't think you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Right. I guess it's similar to that where the guy who wins the cat one, like he always like blows it up on social media and gets like a custom Jersey and shit, even though there's a whole field of people who would have beat him. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like U twenty three is different. That's like an actual category. Scott, how do you feel about the Cat One? Like I don't know, twenty five to twenty nine, getting a jersey at Mountain Bike Nationals. I mean, it's it's same thing with getting like in collegiate. Like, does that really count? You <laughs> well, but then, the but then you're the fastest. But then you're the fastest collegiate racer. You know what I mean? I guess I guess yeah. what they're I guess what they're trying to say is like if you're the Cat One uh, champ you know champion for your age group then you're the fastest amateur in that age category right you know I was talking I was talking about this with somebody and we were saying like they need to give you like some kind of inferior jersey <laughs> like it like like you know um what is it? I guess it's Phil Guyman or like the Grand Fondo World Champion jersey it's like not. Phil Guyman's jersey, he's got like weird stripes on it. He like thinks he's like, some kind of world champion. <laughs> yeah, <I don't, laughs> like you know, if you know if you know cycling, you know that's like not legit. Mm-hmm. So they need to give you like a jersey that's like yeah, popped in half or something. Well, they can't know. like butcher the American flag though. No, you can't. You got to be careful <laughs> with that. Um, but do something to it. <laughs> but do something. Just. Just put sure. like amateur on it. Just says amateur. amateur. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, age group. Yeah. Like Adam, you're like confused and you like follow, you like know cycling, right? So imagine somebody who's like has doesn't know what's going on. They see a national champ jersey and they're like, oh, it's national champion. <laughs> they're really not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they are the national champion for like the amateur, like for the know, amateurs, twenty five like, to twenty nine. Yeah, that is that even should that count? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
Yeah, I and 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 again, it goes back to like what is a pro, uh, because you know you could say you you could argue like oh these amateurs like this is just something that they do like on the side for fun, but half the half the pro field at the mountain bike nationals is in the same boat. They they just maybe take sure. it a little more seriously, but I'd even argue that the amateurs sometimes take it more seriously than the pros do. Um, yeah, but sure. then the guys, the guys in the pro field are where then they lose and they deserve to lose because they're totally. not taking it seriously <laughs> and they're not good <laughs> for sure. Right. But like, <laughs> but like there, I think, I think what Adam point. is saying is there's plenty of pros in the pro field who that this is not how they make their living. They've got another job. Like maybe they, maybe they get free bikes and maybe they get a little bit of payment from sponsors, you know, and they win prize money here and there, but that is not how they're paying their bills. Yeah, but wh- like, why can't you just have a national championship? It doesn't have to be pro or it, it just, so you're, you're saying the national championship should, there shouldn't be any categories. It's just like mass start and whoever crossed the finish line first is the national champion. There could still be categories, but just don't like people need to know that you won the interior category. (laughs) (laughs) And again, with the entry fee thing at mountain bike, or at least at cyclocross nationals, I know they have like, they have all of the age groups and then they have Mm -hmm. all the age groups, but non championship races. Yeah. They have a data mountain bike for money. So you could go to, nationals and race like three or four races and like spend five hundred dollars on entry fees mm-hmm. what yeah about in, single speed should t- they get a jersey t- yeah i'm cool with single <laughs> speed i mean that that's fine that's yeah that's actually like i don't know. right you're the They're fastest separate. person that that rode the rode the course with one gear right i'm never gonna do that i don't think <laughs> Sure, but you would probably Scott, win it dude, if you did. You, I could see you winning. Like you should go to the the mountain bike single speed world championships or the cyclocross single speed world championships, and you could get a tattoo on your ass. No, don't do it on your ass. Do it on your like forearm. Make sure people see that. Yeah, your neck. <laughs> yeah, your forehead, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't... So, and, and I just wanted to clarify, like. I, I think, like, Scott, I think you were kind of saying this. I, I'm totally fine with there being subcategories. I just don't understand why, like, the there's, like, the elite category for the amateurs and then there's the pro category for the amateurs. And, like, throughout the year, they're competing against one another. But then at nationals, they separate them out. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, if you're competing at the same level all year, then for the national championship jersey where you're trying to crown the fastest person of like the fastest people, there should just be one combined category. That's the part mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there needs to be like a thing where, where like in the NCAA, at least it used to be where you couldn't be paid. So like to do mm-hmm. amateur nationals. Yeah. You can't be paid. Right. And that's how it is in other sports. Yeah. Or at least some other sports. Like if, if you're the, if you're an amateur and you go in, uh, you know, Crybaby hill at Tulsa, you don't get the ten thousand uh, dollar payout. You, you, there's some limit because you're an amateur. Like you, you've already accepted that you're not competing as your profession. Yeah, but that's I what I don't know. understand. Like you can go win Crybaby Hill, win ten grand, but then you're not considered a professional still. So then you can go and win amateur nationals on the road, 
even though like mm-hmm. you would have gotten beat by, I don't know, whoever won the pro road race. Uh, that's the part I just don't, it doesn't make sense to me. The rest of it, like if you're a cat two or cat three and, and so on, uh, like that's fine. Like you, you were the fastest in your category. Hopefully now you're going to cat up. Um, but the right. elites who are competing against each other all year, they, they should not be separated out in at nationals. Another thing, one, one last thing is that at amateur nationals, they don't have a women's cat one. Really? Yeah. Wow. They do the amateur. At least they do U23 at pro nationals, and they just set like its first U23 in the pro race is the national champion. Mm. But no, no women's cat one. That's crazy. At the amateur Hmm. nationals. Wow. Okay. I feel like that needs to change. No, yeah. it doesn't need to change. It needs to stay like that, and the men's needs to do that. <laughs> okay. All right. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing else. All right. Is that, is that, is that enough it? complaining for this week? That was, that was a lot of complaining. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, hey, Dylan, so send your questions to Scott McGill Jr. Dylan, so you, you uh, what were you gonna say? You put a sneak, yeah, you put a sneak peek. Of you got new bike that came in. Did you did you not mm. bring a mountain bike with you? Yeah. How, how did you ride in Grand Junction the other day? No, I brought a mountain bike with me. So okay, so if you made it to this far into the podcast, then <laughs> you get to know this information, and nobody else does because they they weren't patient enough to sit through the whole thing. Glad you brought this up, Adam. Okay, so the the new bike that I just got that I gave a little sneak peek on Instagram is a mountain bike, and it's a hardtail that I plan on using for Leadville and Shiguamagon. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> Shwamagon. <laughs> I pronounced I pronounced it so horribly in my YouTube video about how I was going to train for the series, and I got so many comments from people like telling me how to actually pronounce it. Um. So I probably still pronounce it wrong, but I think those two races, a hardtail is probably better. I haven't actually ridden the course on either one of them, so I don't know, but no, I've got a, I've got a full suspension with me. Um, and now I just got a hardtail. So now I've got two mountain bikes with me. Um, and I plan on building up the hardtail and I mean, I've heard people say that a full suspension is actually better at Leadville cause it's bumpy, but I'll be honest. I'm so I'm like asking people what equipment to run. I feel like half the time I get to the place, this is particularly bad with tires for gravel racing. Like I'll get to whatever race and I'll be like, yeah, what tires should I run? And somebody's like, Oh dude, like 38s, man, like 38 slicks. And then I get there and I'm like, dude, I wish I had a freaking like 42 with knobs. Like this is gnarly terrain. Um, (laughs) Or like somebody will be like, oh, dude, hardtail for that race is fine. And then I'm like, this is so bumpy right now. Like, I wish I had a full suspension. I just, um, I don't know. People's recommendation about what equipment to run, I kind of take it with a grain of salt at this point. So I've got both the full suspension and the hardtail. I'll check out the course and make a decision. Adam, I know you okay. ran the course. What do you think? Yeah, so I did it five years ago on a hardtail. 
but that was also like one of my first mountain bike races and I only owned a hardtail. I'd never even ridden a full suspension bike. So, um, I'm kind of using that experience with a grain of salt. Um, last year mm-hmm. I rode 40 miles of the course, which is equivalent to 80 miles of the course. Cause it's an out and back. Um, I did mm-hmm. 40 miles of the course on my gravel bike and the whole time I was like, wow, you could totally do this course on a gravel bike, except for I didn't do Columbine, which is like the hardest climb and the hardest descent. Um, sure. so like other than that, like, and I rode all the power line climb, um, I didn't do the power line descent. So like maybe that'd be a little bit different too. Um, but you know, like the gravel bike was pretty, it was, you know, super smooth roads. I mean, there was a little bit of chunk on some of the climbs, um, and some of the descents. Uh, I, I still don't think a gravel bike would be faster, but you could do it on a gravel bike. Um, so I'm going to run a hardtail this year. It's to me, it's like kind of the in-between bike. Um, it's Mm -hmm. for like my hardtail is two pounds lighter, which is like not insignificant. Like that's 10%. So like, I don't know. I mean, it's it's 10% of my bike weight. Um, so like, I don't know. I'm just going to run the hardtail and hope for the best and see what happens. Um, I, you know, Keegan won it on a hardtail last year, but Howard won it on full suspension bike the previous three years. So it's hard to like look at the mm-hmm. winners and be like, what are the winners riding? Um, you know, I, I would imagine Howard probably right. had access to a hardtail if he really wanted a super light hardtail for whatever reason he was on a full suspension bike. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think 95% of the course, the hardtail is probably the, the right bike. So you know what I thought about doing is uh, putting taking this hardtail and putting drop bars on it, uh, like the the same bars oh, that I use. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same bars that I use for gravel racing, right? So it would kind of be a hybrid between a gravel bike and a mountain bike. I mean, basically all the other components are the same as when I'm on a mountain bike, except that I have like gravel drop bars. Uh, yeah, people people have done that. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that would be faster or no mm, yeah i think you could, i think you could get away with it i it, i think it would depend on what you're trying to achieve i'm guessing maybe you know you'd have a couple different hand positions and mm-hmm. be able to get a little more arrow with with the gravel bars yeah. um so like in that case yeah i think it would be faster for most of it i really don't think i mean you're a good enough bike handler like i don't think descending on drop bars is going to be a problem for you uh, I do. I definitely descend faster if I have mountain bike handlebars. I will say that. Yeah, for sure. But I don't. I don't think you would get dropped on the descent because you have mm-hmm. drop bars. Is what I'm saying. I gotcha. Um, the the biggest thing that I would say is I think drop bar brakes suck compared to uh, like mountain bike brakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would probably be the biggest thing is like, I think at the bottom of Columbine where you're descending for 20 minutes and you're on the brakes a ton because there's a lot of chunder and two-way traffic and tight corners or, you know, steep corners and stuff, You like your hands might be kind of fried from like really grabbing on the brakes. Uh, but otherwise, I don't, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think the drop bars would, would be a bad idea other than they would just look kind of dumb. Yeah, well, I don't really care about that. <laughs> yeah. Scott, would you run Scott arrow bars too? Then this whole conversation. W- would you put oh, arrow bars sure. on those too? Well, yeah. okay. Oh, on the drop bar. Uh, well, I'm for sure going to run arrow bars on the on the mountain bike if I have regular mountain bike handlebars. I've got like these little mini arrow bars made by Control Tech, um, which are pretty lightweight. 
because normal aero bars actually add quite a bit of weight to your bike. And there's a lot of climbing at Leadville, so I think I'm going to go with the mini aero bars. Dude, how did you like drive a U-Haul out there? Or how do you have so much stuff with you? <laughs> what do you mean? Just have my you've mini got, man. Like, you've got like between you and Nina, you've got like four or five bikes, and you've got different aero bars, and we have five bikes wheels. Now. Yeah, we have yeah, five bikes right, now. Yeah. I did bring a lot of a lot of components with me too. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We have a bike rack, and we put bikes in the actual van itself, too. Minivans have a lot of space. I mean, I know a minivan is, like, the least cool vehicle that you could drive, but it's <laughs> probably one of the most practical. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to sell my – I've got a Toyota 4Runner. I'm trying to sell that and replace it with something more, like, fuel efficient. Uh, and a minivan is mm-hmm. kind of tempting because they make some minivans that that get, like, 35 miles a gallon right now. Not my minivan, but. And I'm a dad, um, so like it's kind of fitting, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I don't know. We've strayed off the topic of bike racing again, so I think we could probably wrap it up. Yeah, it's been at least like six minutes since we talked about gravel, so I think the show's <laughs> probably over. Yeah, stop it now before we get back on the gravel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. All right, guys. Well, we'll catch you next week unless something else comes up in the meantime. Yeah. See you guys later. See ya.